0: From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich.
1: Back in September... Nobody thought there was gonna be a Fed rate hike in 2022. And the market started moving from, will there be a rate hike all the way to cut to today, and we're talking about six to seven rate hikes. And every step of the way, these Fed fund futures have been ahead of where the Federal Reserve has been. But we think what's significant over the past two weeks is finally, it seems like the market went too far. Uh, Obviously things can change, but it seems like we're kind of back to base case, standard 25 basis point hike right now in March.
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals Podcast. Ryan Dietrich here, and Scott Brown is filling in for Jeff Bookbinder, who's taking a well-deserved break. Scott, you have a camera in front of you quite often anymore. How nervous are you?
1: I I, I wouldn't say I'm too nervous. I I think this is my third or fourth time on the podcast, so I know it's, it's one of our more popular things we do. I'm excited to be back.
0: There we go. Well, well, welcome back. And you can thank Jeff again for taking a well-deserved vacation. Just seen on Twitter, I guess like up in the Northeast this week, it's apparently like no school and everyone up the Northeast. They flood Florida and different warm, uh, warm areas. So Jeff is again, as we talked about last week in Sanibel Island, I gave him a few pointers where to eat. We'll do a full breakdown next week on the podcast and what Jeff thought of the uh, grouper sandwiches in Sanibel Island. But let's just get into it. Uh, one of the more popular questions, Scott, and I'm glad you're on today. We'll let you talk about kind of what you do with our advisors here in a second. But you kind of look at chart patterns and things. You made some really impressive calls. I know late in the summertime when you were on before. All of a sudden, we're starting to see some potential positive signs from gold. Gold's a popular one uh, with a lot of our more than 20 or nearly, I should say, nearly 20,000 LPL advisors. We could finally be seeing, I, I joke every time I look, gold's at 1800 bucks an ounce. It's over 1900 as we speak. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that, why we think maybe finally it could be time for gold to do uh, to do well. We're also going to uh, start things off the discussion as we do every week, it feels like, talking about the Fed, rates and inflation, kind of the latest thing there. Probably won't spend a ton of time on that. That's kind of more of a, a Jeff Lane, if you will. But then we'll talk about gold. And we're going to bring, uh, I think the highlight will be Scott's favorite charts, maybe even least favorite sometimes. You can chime in there too, but his favorite charts that he's seeing again. Um, so Scott. You are going somewhere very, very cold, I think, tomorrow. Tell the listeners where you're going.
1: Yeah, so I, I'm trying to get uh, to Steamboat Springs, and you're right. The plan is to leave first thing tomorrow. I just got a travel alert. I went to go check in. Oh boy. And apparently, there's a big winter storm going through Texas. Yep. All the American flights to get us out to Steamboat go through Dallas, Dallas, Fort Worth. So hopefully uh, wow. the, the winter storm doesn't mess things up and I'll be lucky enough to go uh, experience some negative temperatures out in Colorado. Wow.
0: I, I didn't realize that. That's true. I was stuck in Houston a few weeks ago because that storm, ice storm came through Dallas. And when you shut down that airport, it shuts down a lot of other airports. Um, but hopefully you guys make it out there. I'm actually going to Arizona tomorrow for a work thing. And it's funny, it's only like a high of 55 in Phoenix tomorrow. It's warmer in Charlotte. I thought I'd be going somewhere kind of warm in the desert, but that's just kind of, it's a quick one day trip uh, to Arizona. And the day I'm there, it's cold and rainy. (laughs) So what can you do? But anyway, let's, uh, let's move forward. Good luck getting out there, obviously. Uh, Scott, first things first. I mean, you know, we've had a lot of activity with the Fed. I mean, Jeff and I've been talking about it extensively. Uh, Just recently, we had a PPI number that came in um, oh, what was it? 9.7% year over year, right? That's that's the producer level. The consumer levels closer to 7% um, year over year. We did have also the Fed minutes last week. And that's what I want to focus on just a tad on. It seemed to me like the number six weeks ago, those Fed minutes came out and everybody freaked out when they said, oh my goodness, apparently everyone's hawkish. Um, well, I don't believe that was the case. And Jeff and I kind of talked that off the ledge a little bit. Um, but now it's like there wasn't a major hawkish worry um, when we had the Fed minutes come out and as a result some of the expectations for the potential for a 50 basis point hike in march coming up here has dropped i think it was over 90 percent. now it's less than 30 percent. i mean scott again you are a technician on our team so you're not a pure fundamental person but you know enough to be dangerous what what's your take on kind of what we're seeing with the fed policy and what that first interest rate hike could be um in march in a few weeks
1: well, that's, that's a great point, Ryan. So what we what we saw with this and what I try and do for our advisors is kind of watch what the market is saying, not just necessarily what we think, but what does, what do other investors think about? And usually the way we do that is with these Fed fund futures. And what's really interesting is the Fed fund future started moving in September. Remember, back in September, nobody thought there was going to be a Fed rate hike in 2022. And the market started moving from will there be a rate hike at all all the way to cut to today, and we're talking about six to seven rate hikes. And at every step of the way, these Fed fund futures have been ahead of where the Federal Reserve has been. And so every time they get a little bit more aggressive, the Fed has come out and basically confirmed that they're they're moving the way the bond market uh, has kind of guessed that they might move. But we think what's significant over the past two weeks is finally it seems like the market went too far. After we got that January CPI report, uh, for a couple days there was like 95% chance that we were going to get a double hike. And as you can see from the chart, we finally have backed off that. So we think that's potentially some good news. Uh, Obviously, things can change, you know, between now and March, but it seems like we're kind of back to base case just standard 25 basis point hike right now in March.
0: Yeah, and Scott, for the people who are just listening on this podcast, you know, explain the chart that you just kind of mentioned there. What, what's the chart telling us someone listening?
1: Yeah, so these are, these are what's called Fed Fund Futures, and you can get it from the CME Group or certainly Bloomberg Terminals and things like that have it. But it's bond investors, how they're positioning these kind of short-term contracts and what they're betting the Fed rate is going to be at following the March 16th, 2022 meeting, and as you can see, the odds of that t- just a standard 25 to 50 basis point hike up above 70% chance. Uh, you know, just an outsized about 30% chance of a double hike. But again, this is you know pulled back pretty dramatically uh, from where the bond market was a couple of weeks ago when you had Bullard come out and you know talk about how he thought a 50 basis point hike could be really makes sense. And we should be at a hundred basis points by July and things like that. It seems like, you know, right now the market now views that as a little bit more of an outside consensus view from him.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, a couple of weeks ago when Bullard was, was, you know, sounding quite hawkish, Jeff and I did talk about, it. I said, I was skeptical from the beginning. Yeah. Bowler's always been hawkish, right? I, I just don't, I don't know. I play an economist on TV sometimes. I'm just skeptical we're going to have a 50 basis point hike to start things off. I think to be more slow and steady, 25 basis points, you know, six, seven times potentially here with more coming in 2023. But again, that can change. And as all the geopolitical concerns swirling, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about gold. Um, but still, there, there are some real concerns out there. But I think, it's, you know, our base case is still 25 basis points in March bottom line there's a lot of rate hikes coming i think that's what we should um note and just one more thing on the minutes just kind of looking at the chicken scratch notes i wrote to myself here um i said that I, according to the minutes there's virtually no talk of a 50 basis point hike right those are like the, the summary of what was discussed so that kind of calms some fears as well if fears are the right word um over the potential for a 50 basis point hike so that's interesting now scott but we do want to move forward but i want to bring one more thing on here you know, the yield curve, right? The yield curve looks at the difference between short-term yields and longer-term yields. Historically speaking, when the yield curve is steepening, that's like going up, and these longer-term yields are you know, moving up faster than shorter-term yields. What we've seen, obviously, oh, we'll call it the last three or four months, the two-year yield or the shorter end of the curve has soared higher relative to the longer end of the curve, which has gone higher, uh, just not a- up as much. We call that a bear flattening yield curve. I know you do a weekly... um webinar and chart book for our for our LPL advisors. Talk to me a little bit about a bear flattening yield curve and why, you know, hate to say this time is different, but potentially it is different. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, so the short of it is that historically, when you have these bear flattening yield curves, equities do a little bit better. And you think yep. about it, it's really all about the long end of the curve. All right. So the long end isn't going up as much as a short end, but it's still going up. That's what happens in a generally healthy economy. You know the signal that things are maybe not going the way they should, or we should actually start to get a little bit worried if the long end of the curve actually starts to decline. Then you get into that bull flattener, and that's you know where historically you're a little bit more at risk of recession, stocks not doing well. You know the market's clearly saying, hey, you're you're stunting long-term growth by over hiking and getting overly aggressive for now. You know, both are moving higher. Yeah, we'd love it if long term yields were moving even higher than short term yields. We think equities can still do well and we're along, and it probably helps to stave off the time before a potential inversion as well.
0: Yeah, no, well said there. And you know, it's a little, little inside baseball, probably for a lot of our listeners. But again, you know, I think it it, it pays, if you will, to, to be aware of what's going on with the yield curve. Because so many people are saying, oh, the yield curve is flattening, the yield curve is close to inverting. We've looked when the 210 gets 50 basis points. In other words, there's another 50 basis points to get to inverted. It's taken sometimes years to invert, right? In the mid to late 90s, we saw the yield curve get to right about here, and then it kind of went sideways for years. Who knows there's going to be another situation like that? But I think the key concept being the media have a job to get eyeballs, to get clicks. They're going to do certain things to get people to do that. Talking about yield curve, inverted yield curve, how it's always predicted a recession. Yes, that's true. But again, we're nowhere near inverting yet. We're going to watch it closely, literally every single day. But that's important to remember. Uh, so, Scott, let's move forward. Good discussion there. Um, today is two 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 two. So, Scott, at two twenty two in the afternoon and twenty two seconds, are you going to take a screenshot of your cell phone and share it like everybody else?
1: I don't know if I will. I, I didn't. Re- I didn't think about that. I did realize that I was typing up a document and I put the date on. it Like, oh, that's a. That's a lot of twos. But yeah, two, 222 in the afternoon, that'll that will be a lot of twos. Uh, does it does it mean anything? I think there's some superstitions about when you see all 11s on a clock. Does it mean
0: anything when you have all twos? I don't know. We, but you know what, We've we've got a few hours to figure it out. <laughs> If we're right, supposed well. to supposed to do something special, we we better figure it out. I'm thinking at 222, don't we have a team meeting? I think we're in the middle of a team meeting. I, I think we'll just say we are. I think we are um until 230. So we better uh, we better figure it out. Um, but anyway, so everybody enjoy February twenty second, two 2022 at two o'clock. 22 minutes and 22 seconds coming up in a little bit. All right, Scott. So with that little goofy thing out of the way, I think this is honestly maybe the most interesting conversation we're going to have. I'll just kind of set the stage on what your kind of technical and, and fundamental look. We're going to talk about gold. Um, you know, gold is a popular uh, investment with a lot of investors. Uh, you know, you look at all the record spending that we've had, the huge deficits that we've had, uh, you know, potentially U.S. dollar that could be a little bit weak, uh, record inflation, geopolitical concerns, whatever you want to throw in the pie and mix it up, there are some very, very strong potential tailwinds for gold. Now, I joked every time I talk about gold, it feels like it's 1800 bucks an ounce. At LPL Research, we pointed out a couple of times that over the last year, year and a half, where you know, gold maybe was starting to get moving, and like Lucy with the football and Charlie Brown run up to kick it, gold gold disappointed us every single time. Um, but Scott, maybe something's a little different this time with gold showing a little bit more strength here. Uh, talk to me why someone maybe should look to some gold in their portfolios for the next, say, six to nine months, where maybe it can be finally kind of a diversifier, maybe even provide a little bit of alpha. Alpha means outperformance to a portfolio of purely stocks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point, Ryan. And you're right. It does feel like whether I guess sentiment becomes such a risk with gold every time it has a little bit of a jump, yep. everybody really goes, this is it. And it, it hasn't been over the past 18 months, but looking at the chart and specifically more at the, the very, very short-term chart, this is a long-term chart. But when you look at the short-term chart, gold has built a really nice base for the past six months, whereas yep. much of the fault starts over the past 18 months or so It was kind of declining, it was still coming off from that brief period of all time highs and it just didn't have a great trend. Now it really has stabilized, it broke out above um, resistance at about $1,875 an ounce, flirting with 1,900 this morning. And so we think there's a good chance that by the end of the year, we can actually make a run up back to those 2020 all time highs just below 2,100. And then again, back to this big picture chart take the 30,000 foot view of gold. And I think you can make the argument that this frustrating past two years, really just maybe the handle to a huge cup and handle pattern. And we're just kind of flirting with a major, major breakout here. So you're right, you know, the short term view, it's it's time to get more optimistic because of that short term breakout. <laughs> but there's a lot of potential and definitely is, you know, some a technician like me that likes to look at charts. Uh, this is a very juicy, attractive looking chart with a lot of potential.
0: No, absolutely. And again, just so you know, people listening uh, kind of put a picture on this gold peaked approximately 2000 bucks an ounce in 2011, and then virtually went nowhere for many, many years until it broke out in 2020, got to about 2100 approximately, and then came right back down. Now it's just been kind of basing aggravating a lot of people. But again, uh, structurally, this is a quite appealing uh, looking chart. Now, let's be very clear: LPL Research is not turning into gold bugs. We're not saying just you know sell everything and buy gold. That's absolutely not what we're saying. But we are saying in a well diversified portfolio with some equities, some bonds. You know, maybe maybe this could be time finally to at least consider. Um, adding a tad of gold uh, to it. Definitely talk with your advisor before you go and do this. But again, there are some positives there. And I just mentioned the geopolitical front, right? I mean, Jeff and I did talk about this last week with what's going on in Russia and the Ukraine because we're not minimizing you know, what's, what's going on in that part of the world, what could happen in Europe, the, the potential loss of lives and just the, the devastation that, that some of these things could cause. What well, we are saying, though, historically, that type of geopolitical event could be a little bit of a spark for gold. Also, the U.S. dollar, at the end of the day, the U.S. dollar is a big part. Scott, talk to me about the dollar. I mean, historically, when the dollar is weak, it's better for gold and vice versa. What's your feeling on the U.S. dollar, let's say, for the next 6 to 12 months? Could it uh, could it weaken, which could be a tailwind, or do you think the dollar is stronger? What do what you see in there?
1: It could. When you look back at history, the dollar actually historically – tops around the time of that first Fed rate hike, which we just talked about, looks like it's certainly coming up within the next month. So, I mean, that's kind of an important thing to just think about. But when it comes to gold, it's, it's a huge part of the equation. It is the denominator for gold. Gold is priced in dollars to us. You actually look at gold priced in other currencies. It's in some cases already breaking out to new highs and then the, the last you know part of this is that the dollar's been really strong for the past 18 months or so it spent all of last year going pretty much straight up against what the consensus expected certainly that was a pretty big headwind for gold but even though it was a frustrating trade gold didn't do terrible it just kind of hung in there did a lot of nothing and now if the dollar's topping you know maybe that's the last thing that really lets the the lid off of gold there.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree. and I've talked about this before on the podcast, just the strength we've seen in the dollar in the last 12 to 18 months approximately. Commodities in general hung in there really nicely. Yes, gold is one of the worst performing commodities, honestly, over the past 12 months. A lot of other commodities have done very, very well in the face of a stronger trending US dollar. Maybe there's some type of a signal there. There's some real, you know, real bid, if you will, for a lot of these commodities. And now if the dollar weakens, That should continue to be a pretty positive. But we're going to continue to watch this. But clearly, uh, gold is is appealing. I mean, Scott, what's one way the average person, without giving away like any tickers or anything, how could you play gold? Well, what would you recommend for an investor here?
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways. I mean, for the straight commodity, one of the best things about gold is there are ETFs that are low cost, and track it basically perfectly. A lot of commodities, you talk about industrial metals, and you talk about oil, you don't actually get to own the commodity, you own futures. And without getting too much into the nuance of it, uh, futures within an ETF don't do a great job at tracking the actual spot price of commodities. With gold, there are options that pretty much track it perfectly. So we think that's pretty, you know, a great standard way for more aggressive investors. There's equities tied to the price of gold, things like gold miners and the metals and mining ETF and things like that. So there's a, there's a lot of different options, but certainly it's nice that relative to other commodities, you have good options for just the pure commodity gold. And the last thing I'll say about this, and, you know, we talked about the dollar, we talked about the federal reserve and things like that, but I think maybe the the best thing going for gold right now is that there's an old saying that money goes where it's treated best. And you've got stocks down nearly 10% to start the year, and you've got bonds, core bonds down almost 4%. That's that's not a great environment. The money's got to go somewhere. Maybe it's just going out of stocks and bonds and a little bit going into gold. Yeah, well,
0: it could could be true. I mean, you look at a 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. This is like the worst start ever, right? Now, we're optimistic. There's some some improvement. We'll talk about some of that stuff soon. Uh, but stocks stocks likely will improve from here, bonds even a tad as well. But again, maybe that ultimate diversifier of commodities and gold could be one way to um, to help some portfolios. But, Scott, let's go to the final part. And this is um, we're going to talk about some of your favorites or maybe potentially least favorite uh, charts. So the first one I see here is a NASDAQ 100 Uh, That's big cap tech, as we all know, um, dominated by the fang names. You know, that's where everyone stored out and just hung out. I guess you could say for a long time. Every time trouble came, people went to the safety of the big cap tech names. All of a sudden, this market's been selling off, and we haven't seen that. So, Scott, what are you seeing right now in the Nasdaq 100?
1: Yeah, so unfortunately, we're seeing some pressure to the downside, and we're recording this on Tuesday morning, and actually. The Nasdaq 100 is kind of back to flirting with the late January lows. The futures yep. overnight on Monday actually briefly undercut that level. So we're really flirting with a, a classic retest. What we're questioning is, is this retest going to be successful? Because we look down there on the bottom panel, we've got how many stocks in the NASDAQ 100. Again, this is not the broader NASDAQ. This is not you know the NASDAQ with thousands of issues and all kinds of terrible speculative companies. 100 of the largest, most important growth stocks. And of those 100, we only have about 27% up above their 50-day moving average, only around 40% up above their 200-day moving average. And it hasn't really improved with the bounce that the index had over the past month. And so it just makes us question if things really gotten better or is this just kind of a sellable bounce uh, and something that might actually undercut those lows. So it's something to watch, but you're right. This index doesn't look that great. It looks kind of neutral at best. It doesn't look like something that just wants to pop right back up to all-time highs. And as you mentioned, while we don't have a relative chart on here, it's actually underperforming a lot of other big, large-cap areas of the market. It's underperforming the S&P 500. Over the past decade, every time we've had a sell-off, you see this do better. You see people go to the huge Mm -hmm. free cash flow, the defensive mega-cap growth companies, as I usually call them. That hasn't happened now. You actually see the equally weighted S&P 500, even with a bunch of, you know, a lot more exposure to financials and energy outperforming this index. So it's it seems like something's different and definitely something to keep our eye on.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jeff and I've talked about it a couple of times just, you know, during the the sell off that we've seen so far this year. We didn't see big cap tech do all that well. And we saw yields go up. Yields not go down. Historically, they've gone down when the market, when the stock markets hit, tru- hit trouble. So those are again two little clues that maybe something's a little different. At least since the QE period. But Scott, let's go forward now. Uh, we're going to talk about credit spreads in the credit markets. Um, Jeff and I have pointed out before that you know these are usually the smartest guys in the room. When you start to see stress in the credit markets, uh, those are maybe the bond markets way of saying hey. You know, we don't know what the monster under the bed is, but we know there's a monster under the bed. We saw some of this in early 2020 before everything really spiraled out of control. We've seen stress in the credit markets, you know, well before the 2007 peak and 2008 issues and honestly in late 1990s as well. So Scott, what are you seeing right now when you look at credit markets and credit spreads here?
1: Yeah, so for this chart, our focus is really on the orange line, which is the high yield option adjusted spread. And again, a little bit of a concern because we're breaking out the 52-week highs. Now, we need to qualify that, you know, it's probably too early to say we've got credit stress. These are still at absolutely low levels. But the biggest thing that I see is what we would call a negative divergence. I mean, you look to late January and we're kind of right on that red line. Well, equities have bounced back. This should kind of look like the inverse of equities. So when equities go down, you expect this to widen out a little bit. That's absolutely what happened in January. The concern is we've bounced in equities But instead of credit spreads tightening back a little bit with that move, they've gone the opposite direction and they're actually widening out even more. So even though it's not a ton, it's the wrong kind of directional change uh, and something that we need to keep an eye on. Because before you can get to those elevated levels of credit stress, you got to see credit spreads widen. And that is definitely
0: what's been happening. Exactly. We've got corporate bond credit spreads, high yield bond spreads. Um, those are some of the different things that we look at. And again, there's some potential stress uh, in the system. And you know, is it due to a potential economic slowdown? Is it due to inflation? Is it due to geopolitical concerns? And, you know, It could be honestly any of those. And, and sometimes we don't want to necessarily ask too many questions. We just want to be aware. In fact, we absolutely want to be aware that it's happening. And that is clearly what we are seeing here. So another kind of chalk it up reason to be a tad more defensive. Um, we've got two more, I believe, Scott. Uh, China. China's an area, you came on, I think it was approximately August or September of last year. You laid out why you had some issues with China, and specifically emerging markets, and why structurally there are some problems. Excellent, excellent call. A lot of the models we run for our advisors, we, we just made some changes and got out of emerging markets. Um, That did really well for us, because the emerging markets had a really, really rough last four to five months last year. All of a sudden, it looks like you're seeing something a tad different here. Uh, what are you seeing as it pertains to China right now?
1: yeah modest, modest positive. So think about what we just said about credit spreads. You know, before you can go really high, you gotta you gotta start somewhere. China's starting to form a little bit of a base, and that's especially interesting to us because of the generally global equity sell-off we've seen to start the year. China is not down. It's basically flat. and you look back to December, we haven't really undercut those lows from December. The middle panel there is RSI 14, it's momentum, it's positively diverging. And all of this is added up, of course, to a little bit of outperformance for China versus the S&P 500 down there in the bottom panel. But China is a huge part of emerging markets. Basically as China goes, our merging markets goes. So if China, which back to the central bank talk, which might be easing this year while everyone else in the world is tightening, starting to outperform, Emerging markets probably are not going to be a place that you want to continue to avoid like we have for a lot of the past six months. So it's still early. We're looking for above 87 on the MSCI China index to signal a breakout and kind of an intermediate term bottom. Uh, But there's definitely some positives. and It's another thing to keep an eye on.
0: Absolutely. Now, let's be honest. Anyone truly trust the Chinese data? Yeah. Probably a little skeptical, you know, but again, the the price actions, what we're talking about here with Scott, and there are some real positives, much like the price action was showing some big problems, you know, well before all the real estate issues and all the slowdown and all the talk. The issues China had late last year, uh, now we're seeing kind of the opposite. Um, you know, the Olympics are over. I've seen studies, you know, how how economies do after the Olympics. And it, it's honestly kind of a mixed bag. Um, so the Olympics are over. I don't think that's really a driver, so to speak, for the uh, Chinese economy or stock market uh, at this point. But a key concept being monetary policy, the rest of the globe, for the most part, is tightening and taking their foot off the pedal, china potentially is actually doing the opposite and all of a sudden now you've got some positive action in china so again that pertains to emerging markets which is a group that we haven't liked for a while we recently upgraded emerging markets as jeff and i discussed a couple of weeks ago uh to more market neutral and again that's kind of how we see it and um you know maybe there's some area for outperformance in emerging markets after a rough rough year last year uh lastly small caps small caps Honestly, you, know, you look at last year, Scott, and we said, oh, SP was up 27%, nearly 30%. You know, large caps did well, big cap tech did well. But small caps really went like sideways. It felt like all year. And now they're breaking down. And there are a lot more small caps and large caps. So you talk about market breadth. If you have outperformance in small caps, it means there's a lot more stocks that are likely going up, which is usually a good thing. And vice versa, it's a lot more stocks going down, which can be a bad thing. Um, what are you seeing in small caps right here?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, kind of a textbook rally back to what we would consider broken support, which now becomes resistance. So that 2100 level, those kind of two middle red lines were support for all of last year. We basically just traded in a big range, broke out in November. You know, a lot of people turned really positive. We, you know, frankly, were in that camp, looked like we'd finally worked off these overbought conditions from earlier in the year. And as quickly as it broke out, we reversed. And then not only went back into the range, but broke down from the range. And so that was really a pretty negative sign for small caps. We bounced at actually a key Fibonacci level, if you you like that word. Uh, Key Fibonacci retracement really provided the only support that we see in between the 2100 level and the pre-COVID highs around 1700. We bounced there, but over the past two weeks, we've run exactly into that 2100 level. And it doesn't look like we're about to get up above there right now. So it seems like a retest of the January lows could be incoming. But also, if we're below 2100, it's just hard to be especially optimistic or bullish about the small cap space.
0: Uh, Absolutely. And again, so Scott shared some of his favorite charts here. If you listen on the podcast, thank you. But be aware, you can go to our YouTube channel, LPL Research YouTube channel and you can watch uh Scott and I talk a little bit here but you can also see some of these some of these charts as well. So with all that everyone, uh thank you as always for joining the LPL Market Signals podcast. Jeff uh, will be assuming Jeff just doesn't fall in love with the Florida life and decide to retire, Jeff should be back next week. Um that we're going to piece it all together. Clearly the concerns with uh, what's going on in the Ukraine and in Russia are still there, as Jeff would probably like me to point out, though, this fourth quarter earnings season has just really been spectacular, up almost 31% year over year, and the, uh, what the what U.S. Uh, corporate Americas had to say about the future has been pretty positive as well, so we've pointed out some potential worries and concerns but those underlying fundamentals in the U.S. economy with a really strong retail sales last month as well, I know Jeff and I talked about that last week, uh, the consumer is still healthy and corporate America is still strong. So let's just kind of remember some of these things. Maybe it's just simply time for the market after an incredible three-year run to kind of take a, take a little bit of a choppy break. Um, that tends to be what you see the first three, four quarters, first uh, two or three quarters of midterm years as well. That's kind of playing out. So we're going to keep watching it all. But thank you to Scott uh, for joining us. Scott, any updates on your phone about your trip? Have they told you the trip's on or not? Or anything last 30 minutes? (laughs) Anything new?
1: Uh, I'm about to do some frantic hopping around the American Airlines app uh, and hopefully it all works out because it looks like uh we got to go through dallas to get there so hopefully this storm just doesn't turn out to be much of anything
0: that's uh yeah good luck i guess is all i could say on that front um anyway so with that thank you to scott thank you to neil our producer as always and thank you to all of you the listeners and watchers on our youtube you keep uh keep clicking on this and listen to this we will keep doing the lpl market signals podcast we'll see everybody next week um, which I think if my math is right, is that March? Is it, is it March next week? What is it? No, yeah. So next time we do this will be March. That is crazy. Anyway, see everybody in March. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. This material was provided by LPL Financial. It's for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principle. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical, and it's no guarantee of future results. All information reference in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving. An which are separate entities from, and not affiliates of, the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.